Hello and welcome to VIP Boxing's Bell to Bell podcast, episode 49. Whether you're watching on YouTube or you've downloaded for a little listen on the commute, commute to work on iTunes and Spotify, thanks very much. And if you can leave a review, even better. With me as usual in uh, Shore, he's just up the road with me with some great posters behind him. It's John Evans, are you my regular co-pilot. You okay, John? Yeah, really good, Steve. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm very good indeed. Uh, great guest tonight. It's his second appearance, I think, on Bell to Bell. He was on around in March, I think it must have been. One of Britain's top commentators and certainly most popular broadcast journalists whose voice you hear regularly all over the place. And it's a, it's a great voice as well. Up there with the very best, Andy Clark. How are you, Andy? That's great. I might record that and use it as my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how's things anyway? How did you, you were on talk sport duty the weekend. Uh, how did that go, the show? Yeah, it was good. It was really good fun. Um, um, I've been doing that the last couple of weeks. I was with them for, for Fury Wilder. And uh, yeah, I'm, it's great. It's really, the format's great. I, I, I started at talk sport, did the first 10 years of my career there. Then last summer, I got a call to go back and do radio for the first time in, in ages. And it's I'd just forgotten how, just how much fun it is. Like the freedom you get, you get a lot of time to talk. and. Um, you know, they don't pull any punches, those lads, Adam Catterall. Uh, yeah, but that's talk sport. That's talk sport, isn't it? That's the... Yeah, it's good fun. Really good fun. Yeah, I mean, did you find it hard transforming back, having done a lot of TV to radio? So I know when Mick Costello went from BBC to The Zone, he was saying one of the things that, you know, he's got to remember is sometimes when you're doing TV commentary, silence is better than plenty. I think it's probably harder going the way he's gone than going the way I've gone because I was used to radio in the first place anyway. And the kind of formula of radio is more straightforward in a way because, yeah, you've got to talk all the time, but it's, it's about describing what you're seeing. Um, and, you know, how well you do that is, is how well you manage to do that is, is that, that, that's kind of the job, really. But um, no, I, found it, I found it okay. One thing I do find is that when you're doing TV, you concentrate more on what you're saying in, in so much as you think whatever everything I say has got to add something or there's just no point saying it. That's that's kind of how I look at it. Whereas with radio, you concentrate more on 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 how you sound because you know, like the rise and fall of your voice and all that kind of thing, because it's the it's your pitch and tone that tells people whether something exciting's happening or not. Whereas on TV they can they can see it. So it's, it's different. Yeah, it's different, but it's, it's good. You know, it's, it's boxing's made for the radio. I think, I mean, it, it, I've listened to some of it back and you know, with the crowd noise and, and all the rest of it, it's, you know, it sounds, it, 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 ringside radio does sound great. I think. There's some of my first ever memories listening yeah. to um, Collins, Eubank, Ben and stuff on radio, the, the fights, uh, cause we didn't get Sky until I was oh, much older. And I, I vividly remember listening to, very early Nas fights and the very early Steve, well, not early Steve Collins, but um, Collins Eubank and stuff on the radio. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great because you, like, in, in, at the T-Mobile, for example, for, for Fury Wilder, you, you're tight for space. Um, Adam Catterall, who was, who was anchoring it, he was sitting in front of us on the radio mic. He had his laptop on his knee. You know, you, you've got it. It's live sport. It's rough around yeah. the edges. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a real either you can do that or you can't really uh and that's what i always really enjoyed about it when i did it the first time around i just really enjoyed the live element of it the live aspect of it 
and you don't really get that much direction. You, you, you take an ad every now and again, but other than that, it's just, it's just all the way through. Like, well, one thing I do, did find a bit weird when I switched back about a year or so ago is in TV, you've got someone talking in your ear constantly Yeah. Uh, when, whilst you're talking. And I, I don't mind that. It's, you just get used to it. In radio, no one really says anything to you. And the, the first couple of times I did it, it kind of freaked me out a bit because I was just, no one said anything to me for like a whole round, you know, are we still even on air? <laughs> uh, so yeah the two things that I, I totally I, I spoke to Mick about it as well Steve when I saw him Joshua Rusick week and he said that one of the things he was having to get used to was just how 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 the, the noise in your in your headphones basically um but I mean he's you know he's he's I think he's transitioning pretty well from what I've heard yeah he's good he's good I'm a big fan and anyway, this, this podcast is pretty raw and rough around the edges you know <laughs> it works Andy six rounds three minutes each round John rings a bell after three minutes John's going to start us off because he likes to start us off with round one. I, I, I thought we were getting pretty professional at this, Steve. I, I thought we knocked the rough edges off this oh. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, I think we're pretty rough and ready still, John, anyway. <laughs> John, um, you're going to start us off tonight with round one if you've got your clock ready. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, you fire away round one. Well, firstly, uh, Mikey Garcia. Now, let's give Sander Martin credit. You know, he, he did his thing... Um, but if you told me that a fighter like Sander Martin would have been beating Mikey Garcia a few years ago, I, I, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I found it all a little bit sad, to be honest. You know, I, I thought Mikey looked terrible on the scales. Uh, I know he's never ripped to pieces, is he? But he looked a little bit overweight. Um, and he looked a, a bit of a shadow of himself in the ring, just chasing Martin around, not not closing the distance well. Um, he's had a bit of a long career, hasn't it? And the memories of that outstanding fighter that beat people like uh, Salido, um, Lopez, Rocky Martinez, those memories are fading, aren't they? And maybe the night we saw him come back from that long contractual layoff and, <laughs> and blast out Zlatan Canning, maybe that might be the last outstanding Mikey Garcia performance. But you know what? I'm just wondering if you think he's already done enough. Well, he, did he do enough in the first part of his career? to rubber stamp himself as one of the best fighters of his generation? Or do you think he still needs to do a little bit more? Uh, I've, I've been pretty disappointed with the second half of Mikey's career, really. The second half of his career, I think he still won two world titles, but I think the biggest mistake yeah. he made was leaving top rank. You're talking about top rank fights there, John. Their matchmaking of him was faultless. They got him to 34-0. and zero. Then he had two and a half years out and was soon just looking for the money fights. At the moment you remember him for the no-show versus Spence and use it, lose him for a good European champion. It's could have been, should have been, and would have been. He should be, should be talking him as a first-time Hall of Famer, but we're not going to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah that, that lengthy period out of the ring since he's come back, he's just not, he's just not been the same, has he? And, and when he beat Robert Easter, we were all kind of assuming he'd fight on the Chenko at lightweight and what a good fight that would be and, and all the rest of it. And then he just jumped up to welterweight and, I don't know anyone who saw that coming and it, and he's not showing any signs of dropping down. And, and like you said, he didn't look great physically, but once you've gone up that far and wait and stayed there for long enough, it can be really difficult to get back down. I think, can't it? So maybe he could do super lightweight still, but I don't think he could do lightweight again now. And I think his best days are, are firmly, I think they're long gone, aren't they really? Yeah. Such, yeah. such a shame, such a shame, because he was a phenomenal fighter, wasn't he? He was one of those rare guys who could do everything. He could box, he could finish people, he could be aggressive, he could be clever and set traps. He had absolutely everything. And I know it was 
probably a, a very wise move, bank bank account wise, to yeah. chase Spence and Vargas. But I think career wise, it just it, it was pretty much disastrous, really, and it spelled the end of him way earlier than it should have done. Yeah, a very good career, but should have been a great career. Yeah. I think that, that that's how you see it. You know, he, he chased the money. If that's his motivation, no problem. But he's, his legacy as a fighter is damaged by that. You know, because I just think... Round two, over to you, Andy. And I know some this one grates of you about ripping titles from champions. Yeah, so... This is one of these boxing phrases, which I hear a lot, um, much like one I did the last time I came on, which, which was, it's what you like. Um, yeah. This idea that the challenger has to rip the title from the champion, translated as the challenger has to win and then some. I just think it's an absolute nonsense because any fight, as soon as the bell goes, it has to be judged purely on its merits. And you can't have somebody retaining some kind of advantage just because they're the belt holder. As soon as the bell goes, essentially, there should be no champion and challenger. Surely the title has got to be regarded as vacant whilst it's being fought for. Um, and in any case, the champion already has a privilege in that, obviously, if it's a draw, um, they retain it and they don't have to give a rematch if it's a draw. So I just think this idea that you, as a challenger, you have to win at least say eight rounds to four to be in with any chance of getting it. Or some people would argue even by virtue of the fact that the champion is almost always fighting at home. And a lot of people seem to think it's okay that the home fighter gets the rubber, the green champion plus home advantage. Then you're looking at needing a knockout, but it's, it's just something you hear a lot. You know, they didn't do enough. They, did, they didn't do enough to rip the title from the champion. And I just don't think that's not what sport is. Sport is supposed to be, an even contest, a level playing field. And I know this is boxing and it's and it can be different and winning away is hard, whatever country it is that you're that you're boxing in. But this notion that one of the privileges of the champion is that if it's close, they're always going to get it. It's just it's it's wrong. I mean, it's I can't I can't have it, not at any price. You you don't become the new Olympic champion. You don't have to win by five metres, do you? If it goes to a thought of finishing the uh, Olympic hundred metre final, we don't give it to the we don't give it to the defending champion. Yeah, it's, it's a load of rubbish. Interesting what you said there about home crowd as well. I remember speaking to Jim McDonnell after the Groves and the Gale fight. And he came up, he obviously was raging about the decision. And he got laughed at for it. But he said, judges should be given earphones to protect themselves from the home crowd. And I believe it's like something that people are trialling now, isn't it? It might even happen in a couple of countries. But um, <laughs> the entire thing's... Uh, as you said, Andy, the titles go up in the air. It's a vacant belt. Whoever wins the fight wins the title. Yeah, I think it's become that saying over many, many years, a favourite saying of promoters and, and, you know, people in the camp of someone who, the champion who wins a close. It's been, I've, I've heard promoters say, well, he didn't do enough, you know, enough to win, to beat the champion. And I think it's yeah. just become etched in boxing folklore. It's an unwritten rule because promoters, fighters, their camps have saying it. It's like boxing. Boxing is the Wild West. It invents its own things. And this is another thing that boxing's brought in an unwritten law. Round, round three, um, the zone pay-per-view. I just wondered what um, you guys thought of it. Um, I don't see how the zone can go the way they are um, without a pay-per-view platform I'm not, um, at all. It, it, it's impossible. Maybe that's a lot of the talk while they're 
that they're trying to buy BT, obviously, because that would bring a pay-per-view platform. But uh, they're going to, you know, to get these big fights, it's impossible to operate without pay-per-view. And obviously, there's been a lot of stick this week. And I think a lot, lot's been made of what Eddie said. There's, there's been this little clip of Eddie going around the number of times Eddie Hearn said there's no pay-per-view. And I think they're paying the price a lot for that. And I think when Eddie said that, okay, you can say he was lying when he said that, but I think his intentions were not to have pay-per-view, but he's suddenly realising if they want fights like the Joshua Usyk rematch to see off Sky, they've got to have a pay-per-view channel. And, uh, and I'm not giving him sympathy here, but I, I do think his intentions were good to try and move away from that because it's impossible. You know, I remember when I was at Box Nation, you know, in the eventually they had that intention. I never said they wouldn't not be pay-per-view, but that they, they had no option but to go that route in the end. Yeah, I think it was... I do think it was inevitable. Um, it has been it has been good, good, good viewing, good fun watching Eddie pull off, you know, even for him, what is, you know, probably his best and biggest moonwalk of all time on this one. But um, for me, it, it just depends if they do it, but they really do only do it yeah. for fights like that, then I don't really have a problem with it. No. Because as you say, as you say, okay, you can you can hold his feet to the fire and say, but you said pay-per-view is dead and blah blah. Things change. And they've realised that they can't do those kinds of fights without it. If they do only do it for those really, really big fights, then fine. But the danger is, and what boxing fans will be worried about, is that as soon as you give that inch, promoters will take a mile and all of a sudden other fights will appear on, appear on pay-per-view. Because that's what people have complained about over the last few years. And I think rightfully so that we've ended up seeing... Um, Joseph Parker against Derek Tizora on on pay-per-view, which, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've got no problem with it for the elite fights. What's, what's your impressions, no, John? Th that's the way it is, isn't it? Nobody's going to leave money on the table, especially in boxing. But the, the worry is that, as we saw on Sky, the, the standard just gen very gently at first just starts degrading, doesn't it? Mm. And eventually people start saying, oh, you know, it's it's only 20 quid, it's only... 24.99 now and it just becomes routine for anything featuring two household names to just become an extra on top of your um, subscription. I think it's inevitable that's how it'll go, if I'm perfectly honest, but it's just how long it takes to get there, really. Yeah, and what platform that they can get in time for you, sick Joshua. Round four, John, over to you. Lightweight by oh, name I, and nature. Yeah, I've got, I've got my new ball. I'm coming in from the pavilion end on my long run on this one. Like Bob Willis. When, when Bob I saw... Devin Haney and Tiafimo Lopez <laughs> arguing about followers. I lost my temper. I'll tell you what, I don't care how many followers you've got, Devin. I'll give you a number, and it's zero, because that's the number of top contenders you've fought. And I'll give you some more numbers. <laughs> Tiafimo Lopez, none. Devin Haney, two. Gamboa and Linares. Ryan Garcia, one. Tank Davis, you're still a lightweight tank, one. Lomachenko won. That's how many times they've fought in the last year. Not one of them has ever made a genuine statement about fighting one of the other ones. And I'll tell you what. Right. <laughs> Those fellas were everything much right about modern boxing, weren't they? They're all big characters. They're exciting. They've all got different styles. They all bring something else to the table. For showing everything that's wrong with modern boxing obsessed with obsessed narcissists that's what they all are none of them want to lose to each other none of them want to lose their unbeaten record and the two 
soft to put the foot down and tell the managers who work for them that they want to fight the biggest <laughs> fights. I, I tell you what, I'm putting a self-imposed ban on mentioning any of those guys again until they get in the ring. I'm sick to death of it. They've spoiled the lightweight division. It could have been a great era. I'm done with them. That's it. You finished? <laughs> finished. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> Andy, we're, we're journalists. We're not meant to say. You're a commentator. You always have to have words. Only I'm, I'm throwing to you after that rant. That's epic. Oh, go on, John. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Uh, yeah, but I do agree. I do agree. When yeah. when Lopez beat Lomachenko, there's all this chat about the four, five, six new kings and all the rest of it. They're just constantly, consistently failing to even look like fighting each other. And to watch them at the ringside, like two children talking about, you know, it's, it's, it was almost like, a, like my dad's harder than your dad. Yeah. I mean, it's just oh. absolute horseshit. Rid of the yeah. Order, but I don't really know what you do about it because they're all with different people, pretty much. Um, yeah, yeah. And all the rest of it, and I don't know. I, I don't really but see a solution to it. To, to the be. worst thing that'll be when two of them do eventually fight, whoever wins, he'll use that as an excuse not to fight anybody else because then he'll say, "Oh well, I've beaten X. You, you've got to beat such and such a body to prove you're worthy of getting in the ring with me." It's, it's a never-ending cycle. This. Uh, the only people that can change it are the fighters themselves, and not one of them has got any little bit of inclination as to change it. It's it's such a shame, but it's everything that's wrong with modern boxing. Yeah, it's um. Look, I'm from a different generation, so I was just, I did see that interview, that clip, and I was wow. And I think I, I, I a similar comparison to something what Andy said, and I was writing about it today on the notes, and it was almost like, you know, the, the two of them discussing having a best the best of breed dog. And one saying my Dalmatian's got 101 spots and the other saying yeah. mine's got 102. Yeah. That, that's it's what it was like. It was, uh, but John, I don't know, we've gone over three minutes. You can oh, rant yeah, on yeah, all yeah. night. We've gone over a little bit. You can rant all night with that. And uh, <laughs> round five, over to you, Andy. John John was on about not having, he hasn't got many friends in the lightweight division. And you want to talk about friends with in rivalries. Yeah, so after, I just thought it was interesting after Fury Wilder 3, when Fury goes over to Wilder's corner, you know, to extend the olive branch or whatever, and, and Wilder just, you know, set it on fire. He wasn't interested. And people seem to think this was terrible because after the fight, boxers should embrace and agree that they shared something that no other person in the world could possibly understand and be bonded for life and go and have a beer together and be friends. Well, not necessarily. I haven't got any problem if one fighter doesn't like the other fighter before the fight and still doesn't like them afterwards because it shows, firstly, that, well, it's just natural, I think. It's a natural reaction anyway. There's a lot of pride. It's very, very personal boxing. And also it shows that the, the ill feeling, the beef, you know, which is the word that everybody uses now, it shows that it was real. You know, that's, that's not a bad thing, I don't think. Sometimes things can be manufactured, but... These are elite level athletes and this is boxing. Yeah. It's not, this isn't the bake-off, you know, it's, this is heavyweight title boxing. And I think I've got no problem with people deciding after a fight, you know what, I thought you were a dick before the fight and I still think you're one now. No, I'm not going to shake your hand and let's just leave it there. Now, you don't necessarily want to see it all the time. I'm not, I'm not against sportsmanship. I think it's, it's a good thing to instill and try and teach, but... I don't think it's required behaviour at the end of a fight to, you know, all, all start kissing and cuddling and be friends. Agree. Going back to the fight last week, I was surprised at the reaction of, of a lot of people saying how bad it was of Wilder. Um, 
you know, they, them two had shared, is it 30, 31 rounds? The rivalry's been on for three, four years. You know, they've, you know, you've had the drama of the first fight when Wilder fought it won and Fury got up. Then you had the second fight where Fury backed him. And you had that the other night where in round four, Wilder was maybe a few seconds away from, from winning. It was, it was just something else to fight. And when, when someone comes up to you 20 seconds after or a minute after the fight, the emotion you must be going through, you're hurting. You've gone to somewhere you didn't have to go to. You've, you, and that I totally understand it. And I was surprised at the reaction a lot. And I understand Wilder's reaction. I don't even need, think the sort of PR written press release he put out last week, making up with Fury was needed. He'll see Fury around the world. Go and see him then shake hands, cuddle and have that beer and big cigar together then. That's the end of the round, Steve. Your goal. Uh, round six, heading down Mexico way. I'm just thinking this link with Joshua and Eddie Reynoso that's being reported. He's been in there, Jim. It could mean anything, could mean nothing. You know, I am guess if he's in California, he's trying several gyms. I know they're all Mexicans in. I think it's in San Diego, the gym, isn't it? So I was going to go there once. Um, I just think, you know, I think what Joshua needs is a United camp. Not necessarily someone who's getting trained at a year awards and plaudits more than more than anything else. Um, you know, this is always this obsession when things go badly wrong, it seems. A lot, not so much these days, but this is another example. Something goes wrong in a British boxer's career, and they have to go to California or New York to get it right. Now, as far as I can see, from the Usyk Joshua fight, he could have 10 Eddie Renault's so's in his corner for the rematch. I, I don't see how he wins. And if he did win with someone else in his corner, that trainer shouldn't be trainer of the year, but trainer of the decade. I just what, what did your guys take your guys take on it. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I don't think the problem that he's got, Anthony, is, is one that can be solved through drilling hard in the gym or, or technique. I think it's mental. I think he hasn't been the same since he lost to Andy Ruiz. And I understand that. Boxes very often aren't the same after they've lost for the first time, particularly when you've had a long unbeaten run, particularly when there's so much at stake and particularly when you get beaten in the way that he got beaten. I think inevitably that is really hard to get over. And I don't think he has got over it. I don't think he can jump on Usyk and fight the kind of big man fight that he would need to, to fight to give himself a chance. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that's there. I don't think it's there. And that, for me, is why he can't beat him. And I don't think it matters where he goes to the train, really. I mean, he'll try it, but I don't think it'll work. Yeah, I, no trainer's going to um, improve him technically or come up with some masterpiece plan to outbox Usyk, either, you know. This is going Joshua, to beat Usyk, has got to come out, caution to the wind, and, and be the big man. And to do that, he needs somebody he trusts um, to put him in that frame of mind, you know, to talk him into it, to get him to do that in the gym, to get him to put himself at risk, to put himself at harm and to form that sort of trust with someone in a few, a few weeks. I, I don't know. I think he's probably best suited with Robert McCracken, who he's known for yeah. all his career. But as you say, it's between Anthony's ears, isn't it? You know, he's, he's got to get himself right mentally. If he does and he commits to it and, he puts himself at risk. He's got a much better chance. But like Andy said, whether whether that's still there, I, I just doubt, to be honest, these days. Yeah, I just don't see he's going... I, I, well, I just agree with all what you said. I just don't think that, as Andy puts the work, 
going to California is going to help him if he pulled it off. It would be him that's pulled it off, not someone who's necessarily held the pads, who's only worked with him for three months. It would be all his own doing, I think, if he does pull it off um, in the rematch. But I think we're out of time, John, are we? Yeah, that's it. Well, fellas, it's been a excellent, Andy, brilliant having you on. And uh, John, I don't know what, what was best. Round four of Fury against... Deontay Wilder three or round four of bell to bell tonight. You know, it's a pretty close one thing for round of the year. And if we can get boxing news or the board of control when they give them awards out for <laughs> round of the year to listen to round four of this, I think Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder are be coming to sort you out because they're not getting the medals. It drives me mad because on, you... they're, they're, they're such good fighters. And I, I look at somebody like Tank... Tank Davis could really be one of the best fighters of his generation. He, he could, and we're just not letting him prove it. Tiafimo Love, but look what he's done in 15 fights. I, I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face. And we've spoke about these guys on this podcast time and time again and said how good. And when I saw them arguing about followers, that was it. You know, I, I'm done. Pontius Pilot, wash my hands, get on with it, lads. Well, fellas, I can't thank you both enough to, tonight. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, uh, John the Preacher Evans, and thank everyone else who's downloaded and listening to us. Thank you all very much, and you two guys especially. Usually I'd say especially to our special guest, but I've got to say especially to John Evans tonight, mate. He's absolutely stole the show. He's like that guy. You're, so you're the, you're the special guest. John and myself are the chief support. It's like the, it's like the great rock and roll band who, have a, who are on stage, and this support act comes from nowhere because we you know, we're the two support acts, and they blow the main event off the stage. <laughs> with, with, with just one song it was a pleasure it was an absolute pleasure to hear it. It, it surely it's at least got to make it into George Kigney's media roundup in Boxing News yes. <laughs> I think I'm going to I'm going to send this to, to um, for next week to Matt Christie to have a listen to round four of this fellas thank you very much indeed cheers for all boxing info news and latest interviews amateur and pro across and off click and subscribe VIP Boxing Promotions. Also, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.